0: Good morning, church. How are we this morning? We're good? We're good? Um, I was uh, So every Tuesday we do a little bit of feedback about the sermons between the pastoral team, and I've been reminded to look at people's eyes. So apparently I go over your heads, and I didn't realize that. So if I'm staring at you, like really intently, it's not because you're in trouble, or I'm trying to speak the sermon to you, it's because I'm trying to train myself to look at your eyes, okay? And if you think I'm going over your head, come and tell me, I'm sure... Uh, I'll try to grow in that. Friends, we're going to begin by reading God's Word. So if you uh, have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're going to, if you can look in your journals, that's page 18. If you don't have a journal, just grab a physical copy from here up the front, or I'm sure you've got a Bible app that you can find. I'm going to be looking at the ESV version. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? Let's stand together. Here is God's word. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there, and with them was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Have a seat, everyone. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, we come before you uh, this morning. We ask that you will continue to reveal yourself to us, no matter whatever season of life you're in, that we walk away knowing you more. Jesus, be greater today. For your name's sake and for your glory, in your name. Amen. Uh, Well, church, we say this almost every Sunday, a very special welcome to you if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Uh, It's a real joy to have you here with us, and whether if you're someone who's seeking Jesus, you're a bit skeptical, you're not sure, maybe you're someone who's a follower, maybe you're someone who's um, looking for a new church home, whoever you are, our greatest prayer is this for you, that you would discover this Jesus that we love talking about. Maybe you're someone, it's been a while, and that you would reconnect with this Jesus. At the heart of it, our biggest cry for you is that you will worship Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, as you know, and it's already been read to us this morning at the announcement time, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, and we have been reminded of this powerful reality, and we were already reminded of it this this morning, right? We had a wonderful announcement, a very important announcement. That these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. We've been unpacking this wonderful reality, and we've been wanting you to see, and hopefully you've been seeing, that Jesus is being revealed. He's been revealed more and more, but here's the thing, right? Right? As Jesus is revealed, it's like you're staring into a beautiful galaxy of stars. It's just glorious. It's just wonderful. As you get to gaze on him, as you get to know him more, it's like you're just getting a little smidgen. As you discover more of him, you're like, wow, wow. And it's like staring into the galaxy of stars. This morning, we want to continue that track. Last week we were reminded, it's not just about knowing who Jesus is, but it's also realizing that you cannot be saved by how religious you are. There's something that needs to happen. There's something that needs to happen in your heart. You need to be born again. Today, the author, that is the Apostle John, who's writing the Gospel of John, wants us to connect back again and wants to go down that track again. And he reminds us of someone we've already met. Now, you've met him before. He's a guy called John the Baptist. He's a cousin of Jesus. Now, we've met him in John chapter 1, right? You can turn there if you want. But it says in John chapter 1, verse 23, some of these verses are up here. This is what John said of himself. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So for John. He has a purpose that he's here at that time of Jesus' ministry. He's a forerunner, which means that he's gone before Jesus preparing the people for the Messiah. He knew what his mission is. His mission was spoken of a long time ago as the prophet Isaiah um, prophesied about him. Now, John the Baptist, like any of the ministries during that time, had a significant ministry. And particularly in that history, what happens is when your ministry is growing, you start getting a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of known around the community, around the people, you start getting what they're known as followers. They want to come and learn or sit under the feet of a rabbi, a teacher. And so John's ministry is growing. And so he's got some disciples who are following him. And it seems... At this moment, in the verses that we read, some one, whether if it's someone or a group of people, come up to some of John's disciples. And at first, when you read the verses, it sounds like a little bit of a theological discussion. So if you look at me with me on verse 25, it says this. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, Look. He's baptizing and all are going to him. Now, at first, it sounds like, you know, what's, jo- what's going on here? Is, is some of them kind of arguing and having a theological discussion about purification rites, John's purification rites, Jesus' purification rites? But see, at the heart of it, we see very clearly that's not what's going on. If you're using kind of modern-day language, it's like an old-school ministry competitiveness has come up. Here is classic ministry jealousy. Uh, Maybe even the language uh, alludes to this reality that maybe there's a sense of resentment. Maybe John the Baptist guys are going, hold on, should we go with Jesus because everyone's going to him? Is his ministry more important or is your ministry? which, Which baptism kind of theology, which one do we go to? Where do we head? It would be like if someone came to Canterbury Gardens Community Church and as you have tea and coffee after the service... Someone comes to you and says, Oh, have you heard? Have you heard of that that the, the young people who, who are part of this church, they've gone and started another church across the road. And you know what? They have a kids ministry too. And you know what? They've got music just like us. And everyone's going to them. You should check out their website and their YouTube videos. Something is stirring here. See, uh, you know, on a big picture level, at the very heart level, for John's disciples, their perspective was not right. Their perspective was not right. Ultimately, it was either more focused on them or, in some sense, they're arguing the case, John should become greater, not Jesus. Their perspective was wrong. And you see in the way that John responds to them. John the Baptist responds to his disciples. He cuts straight to the chase and gives them the right perspective. Look with me in verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given from him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist very clearly reminds his disciples, hey, this ministry that I have is not mine. It's from above, it's from heaven. He's even alluding the ministry that Jesus has. It's actually Jesus has been given this ministry. In other words, he's saying, Hey guys, it's not about us setting the agenda, God's the one who set the agenda. In verse 28, he wants to once again say to them, Hey, I am not the central focus. I've already told to you, I am not the Messiah. I've already explained to you, I am not the Christ. And then he talks about this language about a groomsman and he talks about a wedding and a bride and this kind of language that was very familiar in that day and time. Last week I had the great privilege to be at my little sister's wedding. It was a wonderful time, it was a great celebration and I had the great joy to be part of the bridal party, not on her side but at my future brother-in-law or my brother-in-law's side. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment if the best man at this wedding decided as people were coming, he said, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming to the wedding. Thanks for coming to see me. I'm glad you like my suit. I spent a lot of money on it. And, you know, as much as you've arrived to look at the bride and bridegroom, it's actually really about me. Now, at that point, as the older brother, I'd probably step in. But that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? See, for John the Baptist, in some sense, he's using the language that probably what we're familiar with. He's saying, I'm the best man. Now, when I say best man, there's a few things that goes on in here in the Australian culture. When you think and hear best man, usually the best man role in Aussie culture is to embarrass the groomsman by organising a bucks night or something like that, uh, maybe carry the ring. And do a speech where you mock the groomsmen again and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's about it. See, during that time in that culture, for someone seen as the best man using that language, it was a significant responsibility. See, in those days, a wedding would go anywhere between five to seven days, right? So it was a significant event. And you know who had the significant responsibility? The best man. It was his role to ensure that the wedding went without a hitch that the ultimate goal was to stand there and wait for the bride to come in and the groomsmen and to to be married, that was his role. And this is what John is saying, but on a very more big theological level on the story of the Bible, this language of God being the husband and Israel being the wife, this is the language that John's using. It's very familiar at the time. He's saying, hey, I'm just the best man. I'm not the center of attention. Guess what? He's arrived. The groom has arrived for his bride. His name is Jesus. He's the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. That's the language he uses where he says, my joy is now complete. This is what I've been waiting for. I know what my role is. The Messiah has arrived. And this is why he uses language. He, that's Jesus, must increase. And then John says, I must decrease. Friends, that's a pretty powerful statement, don't you think? See, in this moment, we're seeing a wonderful picture of humility from John, yes. But here's the thing. This is the story for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. See, our perspective in life should be driven by this one statement that He, Jesus, must increase, that I must decrease. Now, I don't know about you, that statement, I think, in the day and age that we live in, is very countercultural. Right, you and I are constantly hearing sermons through various portals that yell at you and me to say, "Increase, increase, increase. Make much of yourself." But friends, putting it plainly, this passage, yes, reminds us to be humble, but also is a wonderful reminder to you and I: we are not the Messiah. We are not the Messiah. There is only one. And our mandate is to have Jesus increase. That is our mandate. It is not for our fame to increase, let alone Canterbury Gardens Community Church's fame to increase. I pray that if people ever talk about Canterbury Gardens, in some sense as a church community, as a, as a fellowship or, or as, a, as a body of Christ, What they talk about is that this church, with all their faults, they constantly are just talking about Jesus. That's all they care about. They all just want to make much about Jesus. See, friends, when when we have this kind of right perspective that's capturing our hearts, when it's the kind of the Jesus is greater perspective, you know what happens? We rejoice when Jesus' name is made much of. And you know what? It might not be through us. It might be through other ministries, through other various ways that God uses to bring people into his kingdom, and we rejoice. And to understand how do we grow in this perspective, and I think John is being deliberate here, to grow in this right perspective, it means we need to see Jesus again as he is. So look with me in verses 31 to 36. has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, in this moment, John, and just to kind of side note, this is where in the passage, when you're reading it, this is a few different views on it. One view is that, you know, John the Baptist is kind of been summarized and, and, and he sort of continues conversation. Others would say that it's John the Apostle, the author. That's where I lean to. It's John the author, the apostle right up reiterating what John is trying to say. Either way, John the author is making this claim. He wants to draw the audience that's listening in. They want he wants to draw them back to the picture of who Jesus is. Firstly. Jesus is from above all. It's a wonderful statement, but it's nothing new, is it? Do you remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. Here in this moment, John is reminding again to all of us, Jesus is above all. And and the word, this very word, this Jesus himself, when he speaks, when he says something, it's as though you're hearing the very words of heaven invading this earth because of who he is, that he is God. He's not like John the Baptist or even us. John the Baptist would speak of things in the earthly way, not like Jesus. John the Baptist is there to bear witness of the Messiah. But see, Jesus also bears witness, but what he bears witness is not the things of below here, but of heaven. John is saying in the words of Jesus and his teachings in Who Jesus says, it's as though it's the very words of God, not as though it is the words of God. But here's the reality, and we've seen this. No one believes in the true testimony of Jesus. We're starting to see that already, right? There are people pushing back on who he is. And as the Gospel of John unravels, you'll see that even more and more. Then John says, But yet, that to those who respond in a way and say they will hear him. They say, hey, amen, this Jesus is who he is. If they respond in obedience to his words, you're actually testifying, hey, that's right. This is true. He is the Messiah. Not only that, he, he is connected to God the Father and his testimony is true. That God the Father's testimony is true. It's that saying that God's very testimony of Jesus is true. You're sort of agreeing with all of that. And that's a language of seal. The, the language that's in that passage is the seal of someone putting a stamp of approval. I agree with this. Yes, I affirm this. This is true. And you see this powerful truth Shown in verse 34. For he who whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. For he who God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John is showing very clearly, John the author, John the apostle is saying, hey, this Jesus is not like John the Baptist, in that John the Baptist is like the prophets of old. See the prophets of old and the prophets at the time of Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and would rest on them. Or would rest on them with measure. It was for a particular task, for a particular moment. But this Jesus, this Jesus, the Spirit rests on him without measure. Without measure. One of the wonderful things in the lines of the John the Apostle is saying, it's not because of something that Jesus did. It's because of who Jesus is. It's because of his relationship with the Father. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. It's all because of Jesus' relationship with the Father. It's a loving, beautiful relationship. He's loved as the Son. And so all things are in his hand. He has that authority. See, what John, I think, is arguing is that if you have this perspective that Jesus is from above, that he is the one who, when he speaks, is the very words of God being said, the one whom the Father loves and has all authority, As you believe in this, as you trust in this, and you are confronted in this, and you give your life, guess what? God gives you eternal life. He blesses you with eternal life. Because you believe in Him. Do you know, there are certain statements in the Christian world when we read and we sort of just gloss over. Eternal life. Oh yeah. Yep. Thank you. I said a prayer and I've got eternal life. Or... Yes, I'm a Christian, I have eternal life. Even last night I was uh, watching TV and, and um, there was this ad that came on that had a famous actress on it and she had this cream that she was putting on her face. Well, I don't know if she actually does it, but she gets paid a lot of money to do it. And it was called an age-defying cream. Now friends, we may laugh at that, and I laughed at that because I just thought, I don't know if I would do that. But here's the thing, though. You and I are constantly hearing sermons through the various portals that we listen to that are telling you to stay as long as possible, as long as possible, fight the uh, age thing. And what's really saying is try to live eternally. Fight for eternal life. But see, here's the thing. Eternal life cannot be found in you. Eternal life cannot be found in me. It has to come from above. It has to come through Jesus. And true eternal life is found from, in someone, in Jesus Christ. And you know what? When that happens, the language here is not just sort of, you've got eternal life and one day, you know, when you get to heaven, that kind of language. It's that's what you have now if you believe in Jesus. Jesus. That's what you have now. And, and if that is really capturing our heart, Christian, if this truth, knowing that we have eternal life, do you know what? All of your life now should be seen through that lens. That your life is not here. It's been now purchased and you have eternal life. So, Christian friend, do we often rest in this truth? Do we rest in what Christ has given us? Or is our perspective of life driven by non-eternal things? What's driving you? What's driving that engine? And friends, for those of us who are exploring the Christian faith, maybe you haven't actually put your faith in Jesus. There is a wonderful, glorious, gracious warning to you in this passage. See, in verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on you. What these words are plainly saying to you and me, that if you don't take the claims of Jesus and who he is seriously, if you are constantly disobeying him and not choosing to obey him, you're actually not experiencing true life. You're experiencing the opposite. All you're experiencing is life that is momentary through pleasures that ultimately will just feel empty. Friend, if that's you, aren't you sick of that? On a more serious note, see, there's consequences for rejecting Jesus. And rejecting Jesus... Something remains on you. The language here of God's wrath, or wrath, depending on what country you're from, this is what it is. It is the language of God's fixed, controlled, passionate anger and feeling towards sin that remains in your life. This is God's wrath. There's other passages in the Gospel of John that talks about abiding in Jesus and walking along in Jesus. This is the same language here again. This language of abiding. What abides in you is not God's grace. What remains in you is God's holy wrath. Christian friend, for those of us who have eternal life, these kind of passages are not making us think we're better than anyone else. My prayer is it hopefully stirs you to cry out to your for your friends who do not know Jesus, because that is their reality. This morning I was coming here and um, one of my neighbors, he does night shifts, he was coming home. And I was talking to him, all I felt was this overwhelmingness because I was thinking about this passage that he has the wrath of God resting on him. And all the pursuits that he has in life will not save him. It's not until he's confronted by the good news of Jesus. And friend, if that is you this morning, I want to tell you lovingly, your constant rebellion against a holy God has an expiry date. It has an expiry date. Either you will meet your maker or he will return. And I'm telling you this morning, and I pray that you hear this lovingly, stop rebelling against Jesus. Respond to his gracious call on your life. And give your life and faith to him, and let his grace abide in you. Friends, I, you know, I've been a Christian for quite a few years. And often, when you read certain passages, it's very easy to, to lose sight of a few things. I don't know whoever you are, whether if you're a follower of Jesus or whether if you're a skeptic, it's very easy to lose perspective of who Jesus is. I mean, for those of us particularly who've known Jesus for a long time, in the midst of the life things that happens in every day, it's easy to miss him. You know, uh, one of the great joys and privileges at Sermon Canterbury Gardens is you get to preach God's word. And you spend time over the text and you do the grammatical work, exegetical work and all those things which are very important and things to do. And I know many of you are involved in BSF or uh, teaching at some um, small group or even just doing a devotion with your family. But it's very easy to miss Jesus in all of that. One of my favorite preachers by the name of Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. The benefits of the gospel are in Christ. They do not exist apart from him. They are ours only in him. They cannot be extracted from him, as if we ourselves could possess them independently of him. Another way to put it is in the gospel of Luke. You know the story of the road to Emmaus. Some disciples are very despondent, they're discouraged, and they're walking along. And Jesus appears and Jesus does this amazing thing where he unpacks I wish they recorded the details of it, but they unpacks and says, Hey, this all points to me. Now, for those of us who've been involved in Bible colleges, this is where we go into oh, what does that mean? What's the exegetical stuff? And we and we miss a key verse. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us, the scriptures. Christians, I'm talking to you specifically this morning. Does your heart still burn as you ponder on your Savior? Does it still warm you? Does the reality of who Jesus is, the greater one, the Son of God, warm your soul still. I've got a confession to make. Often, for me, sometimes, I miss that. You can talk about Jesus, you can sing about him, it's very easy to miss him. Friends, never lose sight of who this Jesus is. Because see, this Jesus He's always been the greater one. Although he is the greater one, becomes nothing. So that you and I and him can have everything. Although he is the son of God, deeply loved by the father, was willing to become everything we are on that cross in us, in our rebellion. And on that cross, the wrath of God remained on his son. And so now, for those of us who surrender our lives to him, give our lives to his lordship, what we experience is his grace resting on us. So friends, this morning, does Jesus still warm your heart? Maybe this week, something simple to do is to spend some time in John chapter 1 and gaze at Jesus again. Is there something in your life happening right now where Jesus actually needs to increase and you need to decrease? Pray out to God to change your perspective. Let me ask you a question. I have to ask this myself often. What if you're never known in this world? What if no one knows about you? What if you didn't have a Facebook account or an Instagram account? Whatever else accounts you have. What if no one knew exactly what you did every day? Would it matter in light of eternity? But you're known to Jesus if you know him. Parents, as we disciple our kids, remind them life is actually not about them. It's about the saviour. There are many of us who are young adults in our church, which is not me, I've finally admitted that. In a cultural narrative that keeps on telling you to to make life about selfies and you, you know, have fun with all those things. Maybe ask, Jesus, how can I make more about you than me? And friends, if you don't know Jesus, once again I cry out to you, God's wrath remains on you. Maybe it's time for you this morning to finally admit that you've been rejecting God's loving authority in your life, stop. Turn to Jesus. Confess your sinful rebellion. Ask for forgiveness. And ask him to change your heart. And the Lord will send his Holy Spirit to fill you and you'll be born again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne of grace this morning. We ask that you would forgive us where we've made much about ourselves. Maybe for some of us, we just need to say, Lord, warm our hearts again. Lord Jesus, there are those of us who are living in rebellion. Have mercy on our souls. Be gracious to us. For those of us who have experienced this grace and now have eternal life, help us to live with eternity in mind. Not for ourselves, but for you. In Jesus' name, amen.